welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. It's a good day. It is a good day. We celebrate today the resurrection of Jesus. As you've heard, we've sung, we've been told, we've read scripture, and uh, it, is a, it is a special day for us to celebrate, and uh, I'm glad that we could do it together. It's a good thing to come together to celebrate Jesus. And it is the day that we do celebrate the significance of the resurrection. But I want to make sure that we understand as a church that it's not just today that we celebrate the significance of the resurrection. It is because of the resurrection that we celebrate every day. And so it's not just resurrection Sunday. I don't want to diminish the celebration of today, but I do want to increase the celebration of every other day that we get because it's also Resurrection Monday and Resurrection Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday because we live now in the resurrection life of Jesus. And that is some good news for us this morning. I'm looking out, seeing if there's any kids out there because you may not, you may want to block their eyes. Or cover their ears, because I might let a little cat out of the bag. Or a little rabbit out of the bag. It's more, it's more than just chocolate and mutant rabbits that we celebrate Easter. We celebrate the life of Jesus Christ. And uh, today we're going to celebrate for... Uh, I was going to just sh- show a couple of pictures of what many people are celebrating today. As you can see there. The Easter Bunny. And uh, who thought of that? I don't know. Next one. There's another one. Nice. Your, your, your friendly neighborhood bunny. Next one. Next one. Next one. Next one. We're, gonna have, we're all going to be having tormented dreams now. But uh, I was thinking about it this week and I was thinking, man, what is going on there? You've got a seven foot tall mutant rabbit and um, he goes into your home at night while you're asleep and leaves little chocolate eggs that's breaking and entering that's actually a crime I wonder what kids are going through today, traumatized, thinking about this rabbit. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. I just thought about it. I was like, that's actually pretty crazy. Pretty crazy stuff. But uh, today we're here to celebrate Jesus. And I want to read from the scriptures this morning. And uh, I'm praying that God will encourage us from his word as we consider the resurrection. And uh, we're going to look at an encounter that took place, one that Jesus had with someone and uh, how there was a resurrection in this. We're going to read from John chapter 11 and starting from verse 1. John chapter 11 verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, whom you love, he who you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. 
jumping straight into it this morning, but we see here there's this, there's this moment in time, this really happened, where uh, this, this, these two sisters uh, and their brother got really sick. And we see that, as you read on, you'll see that it's not just a man flu. It's not just like they, he had something that was, you know, just a kind of trivial kind of cold or something like that. Like this is a serious illness, a serious enough illness that it would, you know, eventually really affect him. And uh, we see here that his sisters call out for Jesus. They come to Jesus and they're, they're like, or they send message to Jesus that, that Lazarus, the one whom you love, the one who you have relationship with, he is actually really, really ill. You have to come. You've got to come and, and, and see him. You've got to come and help him. And we see that Jesus' response is probably not what some of us would think would be the response in that moment. He says to them, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Or the the Greek, probably closer in that part there, says, This illness will not end in death. This is for the glory of God, so that the, the Son of God may be glorified in it. I wonder if we've ever considered the thought that everything in our lives is for the glory of God. Here's the first thought for us this morning. Your story is for His glory. Your story is for His glory. When these sisters come or they send message to Jesus and he, he hears what is taking place, his, his, his reaction to them or his statement to them is one about the sickness, but two about the, 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 the results of what would take place as a result of that sickness, the illness. That what was taking place in Lazarus's life was going to bring glory to God. Now we may understand that when healing comes. You know, we may understand that when someone is healed of something, wow, that's glory to God. We testify of the power of God in healing, and God gets the glory. But in this story, we see that Jesus actually was saying that in his sickness, that there will be something that takes place that God is glorified through. I want to say this morning that all of our lives, good, bad, and ugly, is for the glory of God. All of our lives, everything that we walk through, not saying that God causes it all for us, but everything we walk through is an opportunity for God to be glorified. Everything, the highs, the lows, the goods, the bads, the healings, the sickness, everything that we go through. And we may only sit in the camp that says, well, I understand when healing comes how God can be glorified. But could God not be glorified from someone dying on a cross? Would there not be glory in the punishment of the Son for the sake of the world? Would there not be glory or possibility of glory for someone who is sick or ill to glorify God? Maybe we get it when when the healing comes or the breakthrough comes or the miracle comes and we say, God, we glorify you. That is for your glory. Your testimony is for your glory. But what about when the healing doesn't come? Can God not be glorified? Does his glory depend upon an outcome? Or is his glory due to who he is? Your story is for his glory. My prayer is that we don't just understand that and accept it and say, okay, I'll do it, I'll take it, whatever it may be in life, I'll just go through it for your glory. But we embrace that 
And we say, God, everything for your glory. All of this for your glory. My whole life for your glory. I offer up all the goods, the bads, the things that are going wrong, the things that are going right. I offer it all up for your glory. Because your story is actually for his glory. And Lazarus in this story, he's the one that's sick. He's the one that needs help. He's the one that, that, that his family is worried about him, calling for Jesus to come. Come, you've got to come. This is what's taking place. And what does it say? That he, he, he didn't go at that point. He stayed. And he said that in this, God is going to be glorified. I pray that you find hope in the truth that God can be glorified in everything. God can be glorified in everything. John Piper said the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The whole ultimate purpose of our lives is to bring glory to God, for God to be glorified through our good works, that God is glorified, not us. Through our suffering even, that God is glorified, that He receives glory and honor. How is that even possible? I mean, I have watched people who have gone through some incredibly you know, difficult things, some things that uh, you wouldn't wish upon other people. And their disposition is, I love Jesus. I know that in this, He is close to me. And what I'm going through has actually caused me to cling to Him. It's caused me to draw closer to Him. It's caused me to stop relying on all of this other stuff and to, to really give my heart to Him. May he be glorified in it. We love to hear the end testimony. We love to hear the testimony of how the healing came or the breakthrough came or the miracle came or the provision came or the life was changed or the, the marriage was reconciled. But what about the, the story in the middle? What about the story when it's still messy? What about the story when, when there's still brokenness, when things aren't working out? What about the story when there's still sickness? What about the story when things aren't adding up? What about the story in the middle? Can I tell you, I need to hear your story in the middle. Because so much of my life is lived in the middle. We've got to hear the story of, of those who are in the middle of the mess. Because we don't just live in that place always of the healing and the breakthrough and all that. You know, there is a, there is a process at times. There is a promise that maybe we're waiting on. I've got to hear your story in the middle. When I was a new Christian, when I first came to Jesus, I had a, a real issue with alcohol. And I heard, I came to church and uh, you know, people would give testimony of how God miraculously overnight healed them of every desire for alcohol. And I would sit there thinking, man, he's missed me. I didn't get that one. I got baptized. I didn't get the overnight miraculous. He's still struggling with this. And so I thought every Christian had a perfect life. Because I never heard anyone's story of how they were still struggling even though they'd been saved. Even though they'd been set free, there was still stuff in their heart. I didn't hear the stories about you know, how they struggled with different things. But God was still there. Your story is for His glory. Not just to accept that and say, okay, let it be God. But to embrace that and to say, Jesus, everything is yours. All for your glory. 
Use it, the good, the bad, the ugly. Let it point to you. Let my disposition, let my heart be a testimony that you are the God that is with me in the fire. You are the God that is with me on the mountain. You are the God that is with me in every season of life. Let my heart testify to your power, to your love, to the closeness, to the intimacy that you have with us. For your glory's sake. And Jesus says to him, this isn't going to end in death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son may be glorified through it. Your story for His glory. Offer those things up. Offer them up. If you, if, if you can't make sense of them, if you can't see why all the pieces are broken, or why it's so cloudy, or why it feels so dark, offer it to Him. Jesus, I can't make any sense of this. I don't know why Lazarus is still sick. You love him. He's the one that loves you. It makes no sense to me. We've come to the right place. We've come to you. And he's still sick. But I'm going to offer that up and pray that you are glorified in it in any way. In any way. In any way. That you would use this for your glory. That you would use this for redemption. That you would use this to bring people close to you. I offer my highs and my lows, all of it for His glory. Your story is for His glory. Let's read on. Verse, uh, verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Okay, that, that's actually pretty important to, to hold on to in this place. Because sometimes we think when Jesus doesn't move the way we think He should move, that it's because He doesn't love us. Or that He's forgotten about us. Or he doesn't care about us. But it says very clearly, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. His reaction was to stay a little bit longer. It literally says, when he heard that he was ill... He decided to stay two days longer in the place that he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Here's the second thought. When you live outside of time, you're never out of time. When Jesus operates in a dimension that is not restricted by the time of our timeline, he is never out of time. I love watching this and, and, and thinking about this because if I was in Mary and Martha's situation, I'd probably have a very different disposition than I do reading it now. I would be panicked. I would be like, why isn't he coming? Why is he not? not why is he, he, he loves us. We love him. You know, we served him. Why hasn't he come? I'd be panicked. I'd be, I'd be worried. I'd be frustrated. I'd be concerned. I'd be confused. But I read it now and I think, you know what? God's got his own timeline. Jesus was not panicked. Jesus was not rushed. He wasn't hurried. He didn't feel like he needed to to do and go at, at that very point in time. The one who sees the beginning from the end knows the middle as well. The one who can see things from not just the perspective of what's happening right now, but what will come, he knows what to do and when to do it. This is something that, you know, I don't know if you struggle with this or it's just me. 
the whole idea of God's timing. Wouldn't life be so much easier if God just did things when we wanted him to? Right now. (laughs) We joke that we would, but we probably do pray that (laughs) quite often. Please, Lord, right now. But it would be so much easier for us if he just did things when we needed them done. You know, he's kind of like that husband. It would be so much easier if you just did this when I asked you to do it. Says the woman. (laughs) But it would be so much easier if you just did things on our timeline rather than his. But here's the thing. Part of following Jesus, you've got to learn to understand that he knows what he's doing. And our stress, our worry, our our need for certain results, it, it, it doesn't necessarily move him. But it can do something to us. It can increase the the confusion, the pain, the stress, the worry, the concern in us. Rather than holding it before him and saying, God, do what you need to do when you need to do it. His timing is always perfect. He's actually never late. He doesn't run on the same clock as us, but he works in the perfect timing. His timing is always perfect. And there's often times where we get to that point where it's like right at the end, you know, like he waited two days, like two days. It's like, you know, this has to happen by this point in time. And you're kind of like, yeah, I trust you, God. I'm fully trusting you. I'm fully trusting you. But the closer you get to that, I'm full of, surely it's coming soon. Uh, and sometimes it even goes past that. Uh, do you know what I'm saying? But his timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. How many people, honestly, let's do a straw poll, would swap timing with God? Where you, th- you think, come on, we're in church, he's watching. Where you think you, you, you could work the times out better in certain situations. Where you've had something happen and you're like, probably would have worked better. Yeah, okay, four honest people in this room today. His timing is perfect. And when he's outside of time, he's never out of time. He is never out of time. He, he, he can come through in what we think is the last minute. He can do what he needs to do in the, in the first minute. He can work in any minute of any day of any time. And he says here, okay, the, the call has come, but I'm just going to wait two days. Two days, two full days, two full days. We read on and we see that as they leave, the disciples go with Jesus. And uh, in verse 11, it says this. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant, talking, he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. It is confusing following Jesus sometimes. It is... It wasn't that long ago that he just said to them, this will not end in death... And now he said to him, he, he's gone for sleep, and then he's had to 
reiterate that 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 wasn't actually what he meant, that he actually died. And the disciples are probably thinking, what is going on here? I don't know if you've ever been there as well, where you're thinking, uh, this is kind of contradicting what I thought you said before. Where this is kind of like, uh, it's not making sense to me, because I thought you said that, and now I'm standing here, and it looks totally different. And you're actually saying something, it feels like that you're saying something that's different to what you said before. It is confusing to follow Jesus at times. If you think you got it all worked out, can you please pray for me? Let's do an altar call. You can pray for me and tell me how, to, how, how it all works. Because there's times when I'm, I'm following and I'm thinking I'm going in the right direction. I'm listening to what I, I heard him say. And, and then I'm like, how am I ending up here if that's where we were supposed to be going in the first place? And then it kind of feels like you do like 48 laps of, uh, of Ellenbrook District space before you get to the place where you thought you were going to get to. It can be confusing. But what the disciples did is they stayed close to Jesus. You know, the best place to be in confusion is close to Jesus. Because he is the place, the presence of God is the place of perfect perspective. The presence of God is the place of perfect perspective. And the closer we stay to him, the better. Because one thing that can happen when we get confused or frustrated or we, 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 we don't understand at all is that we try and find a different way to understand it. We create like a seven-foot giant rabbit. We, 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 we go in directions that you know, lead us away from Jesus as we try and seek answers for why he's not doing what we thought he was going to do. Or we create distance in our hearts and we allow like frustrations or, or uh, you know, disappointments or discouragements to affect our intimacy and our relationship with him. When it doesn't make sense, cling to him. When it doesn't make sense... Even when you think he's contradicted what he said, cling to him. Go close to him. Hold tight to him. Because he's not finished. He is not finished yet. He is not finished yet. He then tells them later, he comes and Martha comes to him. And uh, she's like, well, Lord, if you had have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last days. She actually was clued on. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Someone need to hear that this morning? That he is the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. You've got to catch the, the, the confession of her faith in this moment. Her brother is now what she thinks dead. And yet she believes Jesus is going to do something. She has hope that he is the resurrection and that there will come a time when he experiences the resurrection. And she confesses her faith in that moment, in that darkness, in that sorrow. We get it twisted sometimes. We think that faith is all about results. Faith is about relationship. Faith is a relational thing. It's not a results thing. 
Many of our prayer lives are based on results. We stop praying when the result doesn't come. God is not a genie. He's not the Easter Bunny. He's not Santa Claus. He, he, he's not a results-driven God. He's a relational God. Faith is relational. And I, I, I've heard it. I've probably even said it before. You've got to have some more faith in this situation. You know, that can, that can actually put burden on people to say that they don't have enough faith for what they're believing for or what, what, what's going in that situation. Not realizing that it's taking extreme faith for them to be in church. Not realizing that it's taking extreme faith for them to get up in the morning and to try to follow Jesus. Because faith is relational. Faith is about me moving towards God and believing that He is who He says He is and that He can do whatever He says He can. But even if He doesn't, I'm still going to trust Him. I'm still going to cling to Him. I'm still going to love Him. And so Martha's confession is powerful in the midst of the darkness. I wonder what it was like on, on, on that, that week, those, those few days between the cross and and the resurrection for the disciples. When, as Bobby said before, even though Jesus had told them, they didn't quite get it. They didn't quite understand it. They didn't quite comprehend it. And when it happened, even when it happened, you think that probably would jog your memory, that he said, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. That might jog your memory, but there could be a whole variance of reasons why that, that didn't happen. But even in that place, you know, they've just been, they have to think about this, that we're in darkness now. We gave our whole lives. We gave up our trades. We gave up our jobs. We gave up our families. We, we, we did this to follow you, and now he's gone. What do we have left? The darkness before the resurrection. The darkness before hope is revealed. Sometimes it's the hardest to confess our love for Jesus in those places. But I see so much power in that. Jesus, I love you even though I don't understand it. I know you're in control. I know you're doing something. And you can say, Scott, you don't know my story. You don't know what I'm going through. This is not a, a, a sermon illustration. I understand that. And I'm not trying to belittle or to, to diminish pain or grief or suffering or hurt or loss or anything like that. But what I am trying to elevate is the truth that Jesus is there. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. If his word says that, sometimes life might feel like it's contradicting that, but his word is true. He will not leave you and he will not forsake you. He will be there for you and there with you. He will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you. He is with you. He is with you. And Martha confesses there. We move down to verse 38. And all this commotion's happening. They're, they're basically having the funeral service. And uh, verse 38 says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. You know, there, there's connections to the resurrection of Jesus in this. Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he has been dead for four days. I don't know if you want to do the maths and try and add that up. 
But the distance that Jesus would have had to travel to get to this place would have been about a day. He waited two days. That's three days. He's been dead for four days. Do the maths. There's potential that when he first got that message that Lazarus had already died. So Mary and Martha would have heard Jesus send message to say, don't worry, it's not going to end in death. And then they're preparing his funeral. Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Significant as well is the, the, the period of four days. In what was kind of a, a Jewish uh, a belief, a common belief of that time was that, uh, that when someone died, they, they were laid to rest. And it was for three days that they, they believed that the spirit of the person kind of hovered. And after the third day, that, that was when pronounced dead. So four days, that's like dead, dead. That's like beyond. Beyond what would be pronounced, that is, that's, that's, it's over. There's, there's no chance, there's no hope. This is proclaimed that it, it, it is past. Here's the last thought. With Jesus, with Jesus, it ain't over. It ain't over. The cross, when we look at the cross and we, we, we think about the, the Savior who hung on that tree for you and for I, nails driven in him, crown of thorns placed on him, beaten, bruised, whipped, spat upon, mocked, tormented and tortured for you and I. And yet, you know what he said? It is finished, but it ain't over because he's coming back. He's coming back. And then it says here, Take away the stone. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Do you know that thankfulness and gratefulness are actually breeding places for the miraculous? Hearts that are thankful and grateful are actually breeding places for the miraculous to take place. And you watch Jesus' disposition. He thanks the Father before things happen. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you would always hear me. But I said this on this account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I had to yell that because he said it was a loud voice. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Lazarus, come out. This is like the, the, the ultimate tension that we face as Christians is, is what's happening here and then the power of God moves here and, and there's sickness here and then there's healing here and, and what, what is going on? Can I say to you that I have faith in Jesus and I believe that the miraculous power of God is still available in this day. And as we celebrate the resurrection, I don't understand how we cannot understand that. We're, we're celebrating a God that a, a person, a God that was raised from death to life. 
There is power in Jesus. There is supernatural, wonder-working power in Jesus. There's probably a song in that too. There is power in Jesus. He, by His Word, calls and Lazarus comes to life. He calls Him forth, His Word, His authority. There is power in Jesus. When we believe, when we walk with Him, when we know Him, when we trust in Him, and when we, we have that revelation of the, of the resurrection, I want to tell you that the power of God is still, is still present today. And sometimes our experience will kind of debate with us something else. But the power of God is still available today. The power of God is still moving today. I, sometimes I, I kind of I, I get a little bit like worried. I'm like, where is the power of God? Are we missing something? Are we missing the power of the Holy Spirit? Because when you read the book, you see that it's kind of important to the story and it's important to the disciples. It's important to the outworking of the church that the power of God was there. And so he calls forth and Lazarus comes forth. He calls him out of the place of death into the place of life. Jesus is still saving lives today. He is still saving lives today. As I was praying this morning, I just had this sense of, of you know, this place where we can kind of become complacent. And just accept that, you know, there's a lot of people that don't know Jesus. And kind of be okay with that. That's all right, they just don't. And, and we've got our stuff, we believe our stuff. But, but they're, you know, I'm believing for a great harvest of souls in these days. Believing for a great harvest of souls, of people to come to Jesus in these days. And I don't want to get complacent. We're thinking it's okay. I don't want to get complacent because then we, we get off mission. We start to get onto our, our preferences. We start to focus on things that we want, our pleasures, rather than the mission to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come out. He calls him out. There is power in Jesus for you today. There is resurrection power for you today. And maybe you're in a place of bondage. Maybe you walked into this place and you, you're, you feel like you're tied up in some area. Like there is something that is holding you. There is something that is restricting you. There is something that is beating you down. Can I proclaim to you today that as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, there is resurrection power available for your situation. God can with one word break those chains. God can with one word call you out of that place of darkness. God can with one word call you out of that place of death and into the place of life. There is power available today. His power is still flowing. He said that the same Spirit, finish the sentence, that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in me, not lives in the pastor. The same spirit, well, it does live in the pastor as well, but not just the pastor, not just the holy, not just the leaders, not just the, 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 those that are called to full-time ministry. We're all called to full-time ministry. The power of God is still there. And sometimes it is miraculous. Sometimes it's something that you didn't expect. It's, it's a dead body coming back to life. But sometimes it's just a little, what feels like a little seed. Do you know that that is the power of God as well? I've watched people's lives with addictions, walked with them through addiction, and seen two steps forward, five steps back. Two steps forward, ten steps back. 
And every two steps forward, we celebrate that God is doing something. And every five steps back, we don't lose heart that God is doing something. Every two steps forward, we celebrate that there's a miracle taking place. And it might happen bit by bit by bit, but it's going to come. He is at work. He is not finished. Jesus is still at work. He is still moving. And then he says to the... I'm going to call you to this as well today. He says, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. And then Jesus said to who? To them. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Believing with me for a harvest of salvation? You're believing with me for a harvest of people's lives coming to Jesus? Guess what? People are going to walk in this room and look like mummies. Some of them are still going to be wrapped up. Some of them are still going to be clothed in addiction. Some of them are still going to be, have, have those, those grave clothes on. And then Jesus says to them, you guys go, you guys go and unwrap them and unbind them. We're going to celebrate that people come to Jesus, but then we're going to call people to come and disciple people to help clean up the fish. And let me challenge us today. We get excited about the soul that comes home, but when we ask, will someone follow that person up? Will someone walk with that person? Will someone sit down and and open the scriptures with that person? Well, I've got some cricket to watch or... I got, oh, I got, he says to them, you go and be part of this. You come and, and okay, well, I'm going to bring him. I'm going to lead him to you. I'm going to do the saving work. I'm going to bring salvation. But discipleship, you're going to have to help with that. You're going to have to walk alongside them. You're going to have to open up your home. You're going to have to have dinner with them. You, you, you're probably going to have to answer phone calls when you don't want to answer phone calls You you might have to answer questions when you don't have answers yourself for those questions. He calls us to not just play church, to not just put on services, but to serve people, to help people find freedom in Christ. To help people unravel some of the rubbish and the wreckage in their lives. I am so thankful for people who came alongside me in my messiness as a Christian. When I didn't smell good, I still don't smell, it's pretty hot up here. When I didn't sound good, when I didn't look good, when I didn't live good, came alongside and said, you know what, we've got grace for you, we're going to walk with you, we're going we're to help you, we're going to take you under our wing, we're going to read scripture with you, we're going to pray with you. Anyone else got people like that that you think, man, I'm so thankful for that person? You know, you could be someone like that to someone else. You can encourage someone else, walk alongside someone else. You don't need to have the degree. You got the Spirit of God, the great teacher. You don't have to have it all worked out yourself to walk alongside. But he says to them, you guys go and you guys help. It ain't over till the Messiah says so. 
May that drop in your spirit. It ain't over. Believe, believe, believe. Hold on. Hope is a real thing. Jesus is alive. He is risen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.